0: There's a real edge to the latest short stories by writer Tracy Slaughter, containing cautionary tales for people considering illicit relationships. The collection's called The Devil's Trumpet, as well as her prize winning work, including the Landfall Essay Competition and BNZ Catherine Mansfield Awards. She teaches creative writing at the University of Waikato. Tracy reads from 2513, one of the stories in the new collection.
1: It is raining out on the field today when I get back from the hospital and I find myself smiling, as if I called it up. I stand at the ranch slider that squares my lounge off with the turf and watch the downpour chasing off the onlookers. There are mothers out there who've thought to bring shelters, staked out a shanty claim of plastic on the sideline, park it up the younger kids. They've squatted in spiny pop-up deck chairs pre-game to guarantee a prime view. Those mothers fight the longest. They're still in place when a rush of umbrellas heads off, the deluge whirling from their red and white panels. Everything club-coloured, chilli bins and snapbacks, PVC ponchos and first aid kits, bumping and retreat along the flooded green sod. In the end, it's just me and those mothers, huddled in resistance beneath their branded tarps, watching the team still stumbling the muck as the sky proves no one can hope to stop it
0: tracy i was i was thinking of themes and i guess the first one that comes to mind in this collection is the price paid for illicit relationships is is that fair yeah i think uh, there would be i th- uh,
1: quite a strong strand of that pulsing through it i think there there is a a sense of the cost that we pay for our longings, um, whether that's justified or not. Um, And I know that guilt and regret weigh on many of my characters and yet they're caught in that bind where even though they're awash with a full awareness of the price that they're paying and a mortifying sense of the damage they may do to others, um, they're simultaneously unable to stem the tide of their own want. Um, so it, it is that kind of classic bind, I think, that my characters often find themselves within.
0: Is this the case of you having been writing, 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 as you say, you love writing, and then regarding all the stories, choosing them, and then putting them in some kind of order? I mean, And if that's the case, has that been interesting for you to see how many stories have related to these kinds of relationships?
1: Yeah, it, it is very true of me. I, I write each story with absolute um, concentration on that story only. Um, it's very much just part of my process that with each piece, often they come out of nowhere for me and I'm just seized by that particular story and inhabited by that particular character and I give myself over entirely To that one frame and then it's only afterwards when I have a sequence of stories that I start to begin the process of piecing them together which I do very physically I print them all out and I look at how they rest against each other and how they speak to each other and I kind of arrange them I think almost in a musical sense and I look at the kind of the album, the journey through the album, and through their songs that 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 will create for the reader. Um, but but definitely, I could see that a lot of the voices were a bit of a chorus <laughs> around the issue of love and uh, loss, desire and damage, for sure.
0: When you're writing them, how do you manage to not be overwhelmed by these emotions you've been talking about—the love, the loss? The anguish, you know, the the guilt as a writer. Are you st- one step removed, or do you come to the end of a story and maybe you feel as disconcerted as we do, as, as a reader?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm never at one step removed. I, I couldn't write if I was. Um, to be honest, that like I say, that's that is part of my practice as an author is um, is writing with my whole body. I do believe 100 in in giving myself and every cell over to portraying this character and channelling their story. And I feel that if I tried to close any aspect of myself off and protect it or distance it, I wouldn't be doing justice to these characters and what they have to say. So I very much... I think in very similar terms to which a actor portrays a character, you know, they are very much not me they are other beings um, and yet they are drawing on everything I have all my reserves and so yes you can come out very drained um, but also lit up you know you 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 write with your nerve endings and um, and it does take a toll perhaps but um, I I hope that the uh, final product speaks to what I've given to the work.
0: The relationships aren't all between men and women by, by any stretch of the imagination. I've got 25-13 in front of me, which really took me as a story, which is really a story between a, a parent and a child who's injured. Sad story, but I might get you just to describe a little bit of it. I don't want to give away the, the ending. But the scenario of 25-13 is really interesting.
1: It's a piece about a mother whose whole life has been bound up In the rugby world, you know, she married the captain of the first 15. They live right next to the rugby field. Her son has grown up, immersed in the culture and become captain in his own right. And then he becomes a casualty of the game and becomes paralysed. And the story is set around bringing him home to this house which looks onto the field, you know, where he was struck down, and um, yes, it's very much a story of maternal love, and yeah, the sense of of a whole life that's been bound up in this game, and yet which has seen that the ultimate price be paid for it. But it still circulates around the club. It's very much um, about the friendship of the mother and one of the women who works over at the club, the woman behind the bar every night. So,
0: yeah. yeah. That, that line in there, you know, your son's a legend. It's cost the family such a huge price, but hey, the son's a legend for, for the other players. Gosh, that got me.
1: Yeah, I was very struck in writing that piece about, you know, some of the attitudes that we carry about, you know, Injury and fighting on and, you know, that that kind of mythic uh, idea that the body can always just battle through. You get struck with whatever casualty and you can just keep forging ahead and taking tackles. But it's so desperately untrue. Um, And even, you know, the toughest um, characters, um, the heroes of the field have, have been finding that recently, obviously.
0: Some of your stories are really just a few paragraphs long. Uh, one of your longest, and not the longest, is If There Was No Shelter. And as soon as I saw the words in the very first sentence, no spoiler alert required, the white chairs, I knew exactly where we were.
1: Yes, I think, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm really interested in what the body can take and in survival, um, how... We are expected to just move on within wounded, shaken lives and take the aftershocks. Um, so I did set that story very much within kind of post-quake life, although I don't name the city. But it's it's very much again about a, um, a woman picking up the pieces post um, you know that kind of unspeakable disaster where the whole world is is turned over. And shattered and yeah and I think I I really wanted to explore and pay tribute to that kind of resilience um, where we are at a place where we have to move on Um, we just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other even as the ruins engulf us.
0: Never Tell Your Lover That His Wife Could Be Having An Affair is a particular favourite story of mine. It's a a little short story. It is what it says in the title. Kind of a a cautionary tale, really. I mean, it's funny, but it's right on the money too. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Yeah, I think um, I've kind of taken on that kind of relationship from a whole series of different angles um, within the piece and looked at... All sorts of uh, ways that that kind of adulterous relationship can be experienced, you know, both from the sense of it feeling like an everlasting love, like the kind of connection that uh, is worth all the sacrifice. And yet at the same time, I've looked at it from the angles of, you know, it, it being. Ironic and and comical in the sense of that story. Yeah, so both laughing at it and providing a kind of x-ray of its
0: tragedy at the same time. Stage three, very different story again. And often I tiptoe through these things, but you give us enough clues, I think, in the first couple of pages. Um, a young woman who has created an online character and then knocks her off. Was there a story that got you thinking about that? Do you remember? I may have
1: caught an episode of Catfish, actually, and that might have been um, the trigger for that piece. I was quite fascinated by that whole notion of someone who's so desperately lonely within their own life and so disconnected, um, so so dissociative in so many ways, um, that they could only exist and reach out and make contact with others through online um, and entirely um, fabricated lives and selves. And so, yeah, that relationship with this narrator who has created uh, a false self in in order to connect and yet who simultaneously... Loathes the connections that she makes, loathes the kind of uh, fake character that she has to be in order to present a selfie wor- worthy uh, side of herself and reach out to others. Yeah.
0: You're playing with the form. I mean, your very first work, Stations of the End, can be thinking of Stations of the Cross, uh, has 42 numbered paragraphs and used a similar thing with some facts about her hometown. So one or two sentences, all of them numbered. Uh, is this just something you wanted to experiment with and what does it add to the story, do you think? Yeah, I've, I really like playing
1: with form and I think that's one of the reasons why short stories can be such an exhilarating place to work is because you are free to experiment and innovate and, and push um, form and language to places it might not be able to go In other modes. And I never usually set out with any kind of conscious formal experiment in mind. The stories literally just arrive that way. And so, in some ways, those pieces were a kind of embodiment of how my mind works when I am writing. Usually, that's how ideas arrive, they come in flashes, in pulses. And of course, you know, traditionally, you write all those, you know, flashes down, you capture them, and then you craft them into this logical, coherent, linear whole. And I just kind of thought, well, what if you didn't? What, what if you just let them fall in fragments the way they come? And so it's still a story, but it leaps from frame to frame, from scene to scene, and it gives you that much more jagged, fragmented, impressionistic energy um, which is how the pieces first arise for me, yeah.
0: Tracy Slaughter's new short story collection, The Devil's Trumpet, is published by Victoria of University Press.